the interconnectedness that the internet causes, that is a huge benefit because the the end goal really should be that it increases the diversity of thought. It allows me to say, you know what, I'm connected with people all over the world. These differences aren't, aren't so large anymore. Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm so thrilled to have with me David Ryan Polgar. David digs below the surface to examine our tech use from an ethical, legal, and emotional perspective. With a background as an attorney and an educator, along with experience working with social media companies, he's able to take a multidisciplinary approach to our evolving use of technology. The result is a unique look into emerging trends and business insight. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining the Art of Humanity. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So, David, I'm so curious about your background. Um, In your bio, it says that you're a former attorney, and today you call yourself uh, if we want to do the whole title thing, <laughs> a tech ethicist. Sure. So I'm curious Correct. a little bit about your story that got you into what you do today. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, what well, is kind of an interesting story. And what I found, and I think a lot of people find this that are in kind of a similar space that, that I'm in and that you're in uh, as well, is that we lack appropriate terms for describing how technology impacts us. So what I was finding when I was really kind of uh, doing a lot of speaking, especially uh, with with radio, TV, things of that nature, is that with their introduction, they would always say, today we've got David Ryan Polgar, a tech expert. And I always felt that that was a little bit misleading, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not a tech expert. I'm not talking about the new iPhone that's coming out. I'm talking about how the new iPhone is impacting you. And this creates a lot of confusion. I remember one time just because that uh, I, I was speaking at an event and uh, a lady in, in the front row, because it said technology on it, right? Here we were talking about how technology is impacting communication, right? Are we becoming robotic with our, with our speech? But because it said technology in it, the woman in the front row, an older uh, woman, she, uh, she, she asked me before we started, she said, hey, I've got this computer problem. Uh, David, do you know how you can, can, can fix it? <laughs> and then during the talk, uh, I, I had a person raise their hand. And I said, yes, uh, you know. And we were, we were talking about tech addiction at the time. And she said, you know, I've got a business idea. Uh, how, do I, how do I maximize my, my website traffic? So therein lies the, the rub. Therein lies the problem is that we lack currently right now in 2017 appropriate terms for what we're talking about. Everybody's struggling with this. So uh, I think a tech ethicist for what I talk about, which is kind of, as you mentioned in the introduction, how technology and social media impacts us from an ethical, legal, and emotional perspective, a tech ethicist uh, really, I I think, is kind of all-encompassing and and most appropriate. In addition, it it kind of uh, dovetails nicely in with my background with, with law, uh, and education, uh, you know, I think that it kind of, again, works a little better. Because the other title that that'll time, uh, a lot of times people throw around is a um, digital lifestyle expert. I know I've had to use that in, in, in the past. And it's a, 
that again is is something that's everything and nothing at the same time. And again, uh, digital lifestyle experts tend to go into the more. Uh, Hey, here's all the new features with this new tech device, and here's here's this new VR, and here's how to use it. As opposed to, let's have a fluid conversation about how this is impacting us, right? Uh, that because it's a, a relatively kind of new uh, space. Uh, again, I think we we lack those terms. So, I mean, if you were thinking about that, right? This was like an Amazon search, and hey, who do you recommend? Uh, you you would think about. Uh, characters, kind of like you've had on your show with, with like a media theorist like Douglas Rushkoff, or you have somebody like um, MIT's Sherry Turkle, right, who recently wrote Reclaiming Conversation. Right? Those are people that are, that are well-known talking about uh, how social media and technology is, is affecting our relationships uh, and is affecting just, just us as individuals and how we even conceive of the world, right? Uh, kind of a larger, larger issue. And I think that's What's a little different about what I do and what others kind of in this space uh, is that we're not thinking small. We're not thinking features. We're, we're thinking large. I always joke with people that uh, what I do is like a high-low issue, right? On, on the low end, it's like, okay, let, let's, let's talk about like productivity and, and how technology is impacting you and how you can be more focused. In the, in the grand scheme of things, that's a relatively low issue, right, and, and, and how important something is in life. But on the high end, there is nothing that I can think of that, that's more important than how technology is impacting us, right, because that's talking about how I even conceive of, of the world, how I relate to my wife, whether I can have a deep, meaningful, intimate conversation with her across the dinner table. That's huge, I mean, we're talking about uh, what happens to my social media once I die. Once mm-hmm. I die, do I, do I want a social media account to continue in perpetuity? Right? I'm talking about my own, my own sense of, uh, of mortality. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So, so we're just scratching the surface, and that's where I always joke. is like we're having a, a, a modern existential crisis going on right now. And as you always talk about, this is where there's, there's a great paradox, right, or a great irony of, of what's going on is that the more digitalized we're becoming, the more we're also realizing the significance and uniqueness and importance of our humanity, right? Mm-hmm. The more we're re- realizing the significance of what it actually means to be human. And that's, uh, frankly, a lot of the areas that, that I focused on in, in the past couple of years and uh, and, and continuing to focus on is, is again, what, what does it mean to be human in, in how we communicate? What does it mean to be human in, in how we even think of uh, the world at large? Because, uh, again, we, we're oftentimes living through a filter, uh, and that filter is coming through our screen. Yeah, it is so high-level thinking. It's like so, mm-hmm. like, it's almost <laughs> like you're almost taken back by how deep and profound this work is. It's, it, you know, when you think about it, information never ends. It just keeps coming at us through our screens. Yep. And yeah, and so it's it's like the deep, profound impact of this information is important work to do. So it's it goes down mm-hmm. to the fact, it's, it's all about that health, you know, our mental and physical health isn't just what we're eating, it's what we're thinking, which is influenced by information. 
So, so how do we as a society, yeah. So like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Like the listeners who are hearing this today, how can we see Mm -hmm. the bigger picture about how information that we're all consuming, how is this influencing our reality and how can we see the bigger picture of it in a way that actually makes an impact in our day to day? Well, and don't we always say you are what you eat, right? And Mm -hmm. if we are what we eat, what we physically eat, aren't we what we consume mentally. And that's where oftentimes I I talk about something called um, mental obesity. I developed something um, with a a TEDx talk uh, in late 2013 called the mental food plate, right? Mm. And that's really just based on this idea that we need to start thinking about our cognitive abilities in the same way we think about our physical abilities. Because really, if if you really back up, I would say that the 20th century was all about the body, maximizing the body, and the 21st century is all about maximizing the brain, mm-hmm. right? And if you really get sci-fi and you look at the crazy stuff they're working on with, with uh, things like, like Brainsgate, where, where you can actually control things, like where they have the, the one woman who is paralyzed and can control a robotic arm uh, to have a sip of, of, of a drink, right? Uh, or a person who was able to, to kick a, a ball who, who was paralyzed, right? Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. Uh, so the stuff we're working on. So, so again, 21st century is all about the brain. So likewise, uh, we need to start thinking about how can we become more intelligent with this information, right? That we have at our fingertips such a wealth of, of content, but that content is only as good as we're able to, to actually digest it into something that is usable. And that's where oftentimes they, they have a scale when, you, when you're looking at what goes from data to information to knowledge to wisdom, right? And that data or information, that's what we're flooded with. But that's actually superficial on, on the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And frankly, in, in the near future, even right now, we're, we're basically all hooked up to what they call the Google brain. So information, whether you have access to information, that used to be crucial, but if we all have access to it, it's actually not that important anymore. What, what's important is, is the people who are able to step back and digest that information and actually become creative with it and have a sense of wisdom. Creativity and wisdom is generally seen as the ability to connect dots that other people aren't connecting. Right? That, that's what creative people, they, they take something that you wouldn't think and they say, well, let's, let's combine that. <laughs> right? right? Uh, that's, that's what's becoming more unique. The problem I think that, that's happening is that we're struggling with something that never ends because we're evolutionary biased towards, towards consumption. Right? If you even think about how we evolved, information was, was something that could protect us. Right? I need to know, is that woolly man going to, to or say with you, tiger going, going to attack me? Right? I need that information. So, so when information becomes available, we tend to gobble it up, like hungry, hungry hippo. But mm-hmm. what happens in hungry, hungry hippo mm-hmm. if the marbles never stop? Mm-hmm. We continue, continue to eat like a fish, and, and then we keel, keel over, right? Because we, we will never stop eating information. If left to our own devices, We'll always be on them. Oh, that like, brings me right back. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the problem that we're, we're having. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- what I think needs to happen is we need to change that environment to actually uh, allow those moments of digestion. Because 
oftentimes, and, and this is that American ideal, we say, oh, it's all about willpower. Hey, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you're surrounded by information, but, but you know what? Turn off, turn off the, you know, close down that browser. Don't check your phone. Well, geez, uh, easier said than done, right? Um, yeah. Likewise, mm-hmm. we need to think about it, an information diet. We need to think about it the same way we think about a physical diet. So if you or me, if you were struggling over eating something too much, you probably wouldn't have that right in front of you, right? If you were eating, uh, I always like to say, well, if you were eating too many cookies, you wouldn't have a cookie right in front of you. Mm-hmm. To make it worse, you wouldn't have a cookie in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And to make it doubly worse, that cookie now is vibrating and saying, eat me. And we're wondering why we're eating too many cookies. <laughs> we're eating too many cookies because, because we're living in the proverbial uh, candy store. So really the main point is uh, with a lot of this information, at its, at its end point, it is good for humanity. Right mm-hmm. at its end point, it will make us smarter. So that that uh, you know the Nicholas Carr idea is Google making us stupid. It's it's dependent. It's dependent on how we use it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the internet in general doesn't make us smarter or dumber, but it can make us smarter if we are able to use it correctly. And that's that's the optimistic kind of kind of view of of the internet in general. That's what we actually always hope for, you know, in, in, in the late nineties when we were pushing like the information superhighway, things of that nature is that we now have a great, uh, you know, access to information. That, that's that's like, again, something that is, uh, is extremely positive. Totally. And I, I like to see the positive in it too. And I like mm-hmm. to see, I like to think that we have the control that, we you know, if we do have cookies in our pockets and we're walking around constantly, that we have the willpower to not eat them constantly, like you said. Um, oh, right. But at the same time, I feel like tech, there's a war between technology and humanity right now. And case in point is, you know, the new status update to WhatsApp. These social mm-hmm. networking sites and apps, they're, ma- they're turning us into something else. And at first, their purpose was to help us to connect with people. And now it's almost like their goal is to unconsciously keep us distracted. So how do we, how do we not become a robot in a world of technology that is continuously trying to change us into robots? Well, good news. The good news is that as a capitalist society, every, every revolution has a counter-revolution. And again, being America, there's still going to be a financial incentive for this. So uh, really what I'm saying here is that, right, Facebook, the average American is on about 50 minutes a day. That's, that's a lot of time, but they, they get uh, – monetize, right? They monetize users not based on a monthly fee, which would be typical of like a Netflix. It's monetized based on the amount of data and information that you give. Therefore, there's a perverse incentive to to uh, to, to have you on as a consumer more and more, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the feed me see more idea, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you have to continuously feed that that plant with your with your blood, right? Mm-hmm. So, what we need to start thinking about is. If Facebook is the cookie company and we're eating too many cookies and we're becoming heavy, on one hand, you could say, hey, Facebook, make those cookies a little less delicious. <laughs> or, or what's more likely is you're going to have other companies that pop up and say, hey, you ate too many cookies. 
Well, now here's a way to exercise from those too many, co- too many cookies. Or here's some organic cookies. You have, you know, really uh, interesting thinkers like uh, Tristan Harris. Uh, and he created something called Time Well Spent. Uh, it's a TED Talk uh, on this, this concept. And it's really saying that one of the problems that we've had as society is that Silicon Valley is selling us a product that we're gobbling up. But unlike typical products or food specifically, we don't know the nutritional information, the nutritional content, right? So every time I buy a can of anything from the store, a box of anything, right? I turn around and it says, here's how much fat it has, here's how much fat fat, here's how many calories. So I get to make an uh, informed decision about the content that I consume. But with uh, our technology, we do not have access. But here's the kicker. The, the tech industry, right, they know what goes on in, into, their, uh, into their products. So they're, they're knowledgeable in that. Uh, so that's why there is a little bit of a movement of this quote-unquote organic apps idea, and that's what Justin Harris with Time Well Spent does. Basically saying that what happened with organic foods and consumers being becoming more educated is probably going to happen with consumers and technology. It's still a relatively young, young industry, right? And I think that's what you're going to have. So you might have a little bit of pushback where we say, hey, you know what, Facebook, maybe we can do A, B, and C different. And you know what? Again, Facebook, their concern is they want people to like them. They want people to use the product. So we can't think of it necessarily as this, you know, uh, that they're out to do harm. They're not out to do harm, but any business is going to have its harmful effects. And that we as, as active members of society can always push back and we can always seek alternatives and we can always seek other things that could uh, could help us out. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those listening who may not want to use their brains? And what if, you know, like for instance, uh, what, what if we just want to check out and not use our human brains? Because there are some instances, uh, for example, like when I go running sometimes and I, I pull up mm-hmm. Spotify, I don't want to create my own playlist. I'll, I'll just use the algorithms of Spotify to find a running playlist that I'm in the mood for. And I trust those mm-hmm. algorithms to work for me. In the future, we're going to have algorithms that know how we feel after eating certain foods. And it's going to say, oh, you're about mm-hmm. to eat this this sandwich, you know, this, you know, whatever, chicken sandwich. So I don't eat chicken. But if you eat chicken, you're going to sure. eat this sandwich and it's going <laughs> to tell you, oh, you felt like shit after eating this. Do not eat this. Eat a chicken salad instead. How do you how do you balance the notion that technology is helping us turn off our brains and to only focus on the stuff that we want to focus on versus letting technology take over completely and improving our lives in ways that we want to improve? Well, this is exactly why we say it's an existential crisis because the problem that is happening is that technology, and as you're kind of talking about this kind of predictive analytics provides incredible benefits, right? So, so oftentimes, uh, you, you kind of uh, you, you say, Amazon, you, damn it, you're so damn correct. How did you know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's like you're getting props for it, but then at the same time, you feel a little bit of, um, I don't know, you, you feel a little bit of, of wary to say, wait a minute, if I'm that predictable, does that mean that I'm not unique as a, as a human? This is the way that, that, that I feel, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if all of a sudden we can predict 
what you're going to do and what I'm going to do, that is a huge existential crisis because that that gets at our major philosophical debate about whether or not we, as, as humans, have, have free will, right? Mm. If all of a sudden we're relying on a certain predictive analytics to say, here's your next step, based on your previous action, here's your future action. Mm-hmm. And if we let that kind of go on autopilot, we are actually transitioning from a human to now becoming bodified. And this is a lot, a lot of stuff that I'm currently working on is that I don't think we've really viewed our humanity on a scale. And I think we're going to start viewing it on a scale, right? We tend to view it as you're either human or you're bot. What I would argue, though, is that we're starting to get a little bit of bot creep where we're becoming botified to a certain extent based on the predictive analytics or even just think about something as simple as, as auto-suggest, right? So everybody can relate to this. You're writing a message to somebody on, on the phone and says, hey, you know, here's probably the, the word that you want to, to include. So, so I'm supposed to say, like, I'll be there, and then it says soon. So I choose soon. And it's, and it's basing that based on what I would likely say, on the average person would likely say, and what I've said in the past. Therefore, I'd be more likely to say it now, right? Mm-hmm. But let's imagine I wanted to say quickly, right? That was my volition as a human. Mm-hmm. But now it's saying soon. If now soon trumps it, mm-hmm. right, then all of a sudden the, the, the prediction, the predictive kind of aspect of it is, is actually changing what my, my future would have been. So it's a little trippy if you think about it. So right now, it's so minuscule that we don't really notice it that much. We say, okay, it's helpful, right? It's giving me suggestions. But the, the point is, in the near future, we can start dialing that up where, why do I have to write any message? So, for example, if my wife sends me a message and she says, like, you know, let's say she's away, have a good night. Well... I could view that and I could craft my own message. But what if the algorithm has looked at my past messages and said, geez, your wife has said that exact statement. Have a good night. She said it 48 times recently and you always gave around the same response. So, so why don't I automatically send a response back to her? Right? Mm. I could. Yeah, you could. But at what point then is she talking to me versus she's talking to a facsimile of Mm, me, right? right? We're becoming bot-like in our communication. And I think that's something that we have completely ignored or at least not woken up to yet that that I really think that we're going to start saying, wait a minute, at a certain point, it's going to cross a threshold, uh, a threshold of saying, you're not talking to me you're talking to a, a bot version of me. Totally. So for example, the, the thought exercise, I owe your friends for your friends. They have birthdays today. Mm-hmm. Make sure they have a great day. Right? So you already see, I mean, Facebook does a great job of like humanizing, humanizing right, the conversation. They're, mm-hmm. they're even talking to me yeah. as if they're just like, they're my own pal. Hey, thanks, Mr. Facebook. Thanks, Doc. Totally, yeah. Um, <laughs> so make sure they have a good day. So, you know, sorry, uh, trying to put that out there, but, but think about it. The likelihood, there's only so many great versions you have of have a, have a great birthday, have a birthday, 
hope you have an awesome day. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. Like, uh-huh. And sometimes people try to do like the, I'll do it all lowercase. I'll do it all uppercase. I'll, I'll switch it. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm creative. Look, this guy's like me coming. This is great. Right. So, <laughs> there's only so many versions. We're starting to, to realize the limitations of our uniqueness as humans. And that is really freaking where you say as a pro-human type person, right? So an algorithm could say to me, hey, David, listen, <laughs> nine times out of ten, you're just going to write like to, to somebody who's more of an acquaintance, a friendship, and also it's publicly, even for the deep friends, right? We're, we're so publicly displaying it as opposed to one-on-one communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're just going to write happy birthday exclamation point. Maybe you'll get fancy and write two exclamation points. Wow. Okay. So why, <laughs> why don't I just automate that? Yeah. We're all trying to save time in life. Most products that we pay for are, are based on saving us time. Mm-hmm. So why don't I just automate that very process? Right. Wouldn't it be easier if instead of telling me, hey, three of your friends had birthdays, why don't you wish them a happy birthday? Why don't I click a little button that says, you know what? Every time these friends have a birthday, mm-hmm. why don't you, and maybe they even could, could toggle. Maybe they'll run with it. Mm-hmm. Why don't you, and maybe they even could, could toggle. Maybe they'll run with this, right? <laughs> maybe they even toggle between like 12 options that I have of how I want to wish happy birthday. But they're all generalities. Yeah. And my bot would wish you a happy birthday. So I have to ask that question that if we're going to become so bot-like with how we communicate anyways, at what point would it be more efficient to, to, to actually just switch over that task to a bot? As someone who seems like you have a lot of empathy because you're studying this stuff, yeah. and do you think that people who are really attuned to the emotions of another person will know that it's a bot? Is there a certain energy in that communication that you can feel that makes it seem like or know that it mm-hmm. is not human? Because I feel like I know maybe I'm just I, – I know this. I don't know why. I can always kind of sense or get a feeling when there's like – like little energy expended on a communication when someone sends me something like that I know when it's real and when it's not do you think most people have the power Mm -hmm. to discern that I think it's difficult and that's exactly what I'm focused on right now we're doing some research uh doing some research with this uh researcher at Indiana University Dr. Michelle Drillman and that's what we're looking at is that we've spent so much time on humanizing our technology but so little thought on whether we're becoming bonified as as humans Mm-hmm. So that's what we're starting to study. We're having some research out uh, later in, in the year and doing some kind of talks on it as well. Uh, I think what we're struggling with is if there's not enough telltale signs in a communication to let you know that it's a human, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because that's how I actually got interested in, in this topic is that so often I would receive a message and I would say, did a, did a human really write this? <laughs> and if I don't know, that's actually a problem. Yeah. And it's actually a, a huge, huge ethical kind of issue too, right? Because as you're talking about, every relationship takes energy. It's not even just the time. It's actual like emotional energy. Totally. You know, you have to think about somebody. It's like that. That's, that's care. Even just, just the thought so of someone, of yeah, around. even just the thought of someone in exactly. your brain, that's brain power that's, that could be spent somewhere else. So I totally, mm-hmm. I totally vibe with this Dunbar 
150 relationships well, and, thing. <laughs> and you kind of have to. And, and, and listen, I'm all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's completely not what we're talking about here because we should be efficient in how we communicate. And, and sometimes there's, there's better ways to quickly communicate with our friends. And, like, there's good ways to be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to monotask right here. Like, I'm going to be focused. I'm going to write a bunch of emails, you know, like batch emails, things like that. That's, that's focus. That's efficiency. And that's, that's positive. But what I'm talking about is the situation that we oftentimes get in where one party, and you see this all the time on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. one party is, is trying to kind of automate their, their intimacy. Totally. And actually, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is, is, is a very interesting example that, that I think a lot of people can relate to. So let's take the, the idea that happens a lot. So oftentimes on LinkedIn, somebody gets a new job. Right. Yeah, I've and seen this. I've seen this pop up so many times. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. pops up all the time. But here's where LinkedIn is very interesting: is that in, you, you have two options as uh, somebody who's connected with that person. You can either like it, right, which we're all used to, mm-hmm. or you can can hit a little button where it's going to actually automate a message, and then you can actually tweak it. So you're you're basically, basically you are you're tweaking a, a pre written message. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. here's the problem I have with that is that if I write a post on Facebook and somebody likes it, I say, okay, that, that's cool. You know, it, it's a, like an acknowledgement mm-hmm. because you know that the likes are like, I, I write them back. Yeah. And I'll say, hey, well, thank you. You know, uh, <laughs> and I saw that you're doing A, B, and C times in a row. Get this. Three times in a row. Wish me on like, congratulations on this. This is awesome. Hey, but the, all the automated ones. And then finally I say, hey, I'm going to write them back. Like, <laughs> wow. You know, they're, yeah. they're and, taking the time. Uh, they're and, they're and, saying, and they, yeah. And they never, they never responded to that. So here's the problem is that we have gamified relationships. And mm. so many people are getting sucked into the game and forgetting the relationships. Interesting. That's the key mm. part. Stuck into the game and forgetting the relationship. It's so true. I, I think, wow, you really you really say it there. I well, mean and and I mean I wanna believe that we're better than this. I wanna believe that mm-hmm. we don't just wanna shut off our brains and wish people congratulations, that we truly deeply wanna get to know how that person is doing. Uh, just a philosoph- sure. like just on a human level. And and that's why I just I really believe that like human content, like really creating our own spin on things is like how we get to continuing or how we continually evolve mm-hmm. in our human evolution. It's not it's a oh, it's course, a yeah. yeah, it's like a philosophical, um, really existential question that we have to ask ourselves every time that we communicate with someone through a social media network. We have to think bigger mm-hmm. than just hitting a like button or just you know, commenting without really giving much thought to it because there is, there is like an emotion involved in that transaction. And and I hate calling it a transaction because when you do it and this is something that's so important for the future of our humanity is how do we, how do we evolve our communications to make them still feel human? And, and I mean, we, I don't want to be gamifying our relationships. I I don't want this to be our future. How do we put like an abrupt halt to all of this? (laughs) Well, we shouldn't have to, but the problem, the problem is that, that a few commentators have pointed out is the, the very uh, business structure of, of how Silicon Valley evolved for most social media platforms is based on the free but not free. 
kind of idea, right? Of if course. If you're not paying if, for the product, then, then you are the product. Yeah, exactly. And I, was I about think to say that, that yep. put a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. that's put a lot of pressure on these companies like LinkedIn to actually need me to, to, to gamify it, right? So their incentive is we want this guy to, game, to be in the game. We don't, I mean, how, they could care less if, if I have a great quality of, of life or relationships, but the more information I give them, job posting game a little bit. So I think they might be saying, hey, LinkedIn, maybe you're getting a little too, uh, you know, become thinking that you've got a cash cow here. Maybe we'll put a little bit of business pressure uh, on you. I always kind of find it funny, right? Because uh, every day I log in, because I think people t- tend to not think about LinkedIn as much, right? Whereas we're always commenting on Facebook and Twitter and, and Snapchat. Mm-hmm. But with LinkedIn, so many times I'll go on there and I'll say, hey, David, you went down 18% this week. Well, thanks, LinkedIn. <laughs> what a bloody when you feel like crap. <laughs> it's based on just like advertising 101 where it's saying, I need to make this company insecure because mm-hmm. you know what? If he's saying that this person's higher than him and that he is going down like a stock price, <laughs> what's, his, what's his impulse going to be? His impulse is going to be, Post more. Yeah, post more. Pulse is going to be, okay, I better update this. I'm going to give you more photos. I'm going to give you more articles for free. I'm going to freely write like every day right now. Boom. (laughs) From from our our data, Mm -hmm. and you can actually even figure it out. Really, all you need to do is take take the valuation of, of, or if you want to get fancier, you can kind of qualify it by the amount of time that you're spending and the amount of total time spent and then the total value as a company. So, mm-hmm. so certain commentators have done that to actually say, well, did you realize that every, you know, user is worth, I think it's around, uh, you know, a hundred bucks. Um, so you're already paying for that product in order to make it a uh, more uh, Okay. So you said it earlier that we are, mm-hmm. we're moving from the public squares into a more publicly yep traded comp into doing what publicly traded companies want. So we are going, you know, technology was meant to bring us together, but we're becoming more isolated and we are, Mm -hmm. we are posting things to these social media networks based on our ego. And we're thinking that, you know, perception is reality, which in reality it is perception becomes reality because Mm -hmm. we're almost transforming into this physical bio virtual reality. Um, so how do we, right. how do we, like, do we, con- do we consciously evolve from this physical bio virtual reality? And, and if so, will we soon become homelessness? Do you think that that's where we're heading? Well, you know, I think that, uh, we always exaggerate to extent how digitalized we will become. And I say that with with certain degree of confidence because going back to what we were saying earlier, every revolution causes a counter-revolution, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like three years ago now when Google Glass uh, came out, everybody was saying, look, this is the next big thing. Everybody's going to be using this. Everybody's going to be walking around with with a computer on their head, right? It was too nerdy looking. Yeah, way too nerdy looking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, but, but see, that's, that's my point, is that we constantly forget that of these adult coloring books, these mindfulness coloring books, what is that all about? Oh, wait, go a little farther back in Barnes & Noble and, and notice that there's a, a, a stack of vinyl records, new, new vinyl records. Wait, Taylor Swift album in vinyl. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense, right? Vinyl record sales are at their highest point since the early 80s. 
That is is completely uh, the opposite of, of of what we've been saying. What happened, right? When ebooks came out, we said, "Geez, that's the end of libraries. Nobody's going to be reading these these dead tree books." Well, you know what's happened is ebook sales have now far we think will go because then we, we we then step back and say, you know what, I don't want to wear this Google Glass and wait a minute, these guys just look like cyborgs. Why <laughs> why would I want this? Wait Thank a minute, be recording. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, so it's obvious in hindsight, but it wasn't obvious when 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 the fashion industry was going gaga over it and saying, hey, this is the next big thing. It wasn't it wasn't obvious when 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 it received so much ink of of, of it being. A game changer, right? Yeah, it's so uh, true. I mean, we always are only obvious in, in hindsight. Yeah, we always seem to take a few steps forward and then multiple steps exactly. back. Exactly. So as we continue yeah, so, to evolve, so. <laughs> and, and I would say it's this, the same idea with how uh, digitalized we're going to become because at the same time we say, "How, oh, geez, you know, are we connecting as as real people?" But that's actually caused us to, to be more focused on, on how we connect as, as humans. So my point, and I think it completely gets kind of over, overlooked with how we frame it in the media, because, again, we frame it as either or, which mm-hmm. is completely ridiculous, Yeah, uh, is that we want to utilize social media and technology to maximize the human existence, okay? That I'm making new friends online. And you know what? I've made a ton of friends like online. Like I organized an event where people were walking in the door from all over the country. And it's like, wow, it was crazy. I was giving people hugs and I saying, I, I met you through Twitter. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. That's remarkable. So so I'm never I'm never anti, you know, uh, social media platforms to connect. What what it's for is that you don't want to be surrounded by a thousand friends and then have zero that would show up if you had cancer or, or if your loved one got in a car civil society. And actually that's the, the, the part I want to mention is that's the, the war that's kind of going on right now is that uh, there's a little bit of reassertion right now of saying, you know what? Like, I don't know. I, as much as I'm a person who lives in Connecticut and, and is American and proud to be American, I'm also proud to be a Swedish company, friend-based, right? Like, I'm, I'm communicating with them every day. Like, I, this would only be possible if I could then have a Skype call with them, if I could have a private Facebook group with them, if I could do something on Slack. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's yeah. remarkable. I right? love that. I love that it's, you know, it's not location-based. It's not, we're not dependent on no, location not at anymore. All. And there's so much beauty and magic that can happen when we can connect with people from all over the globe. You know, you can make yeah. huge impact when you think outside of your location and you interact and communicate with people that are on the other side of the earth, which is a pretty cool concept. You have to. So You have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to have to start wrapping this up in a little bit. But um, okay. this is such sure. – oh, my gosh. I love talking about all this existential philosophical stuff, the technology and how it well. it's affecting our humanity. <laughs> it's so important. Yeah. So, so tell listeners where they can find more about you and your work. Sure. Well, uh, I live in the real life and then also online. So you can find me uh, on Twitter at, at TechEthicist. Uh, and you can also go to TechEthicist.com. Feel free to send me an email directly at uh, dpolgar, D-P-O-L-G-A-R, at gmail.com. Uh, and I'm also on, on Facebook as well. David, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking well, the time. You, this is so much fun. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann.
Evolve your business with the art of humanity.